Well, hello, everyone. I'm Pastor Barry, and I am the executive pastor here at New Life. And as always, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for investing a portion of your weekend with us here at New Life. Whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, we're just so thankful that, that you're here. And if this is your first time, just know that we are so excited that you're here. We've been planning for you. We've been praying for you throughout this week, and we hope that as you worship with us today that God will speak to you in a way that only He can, that He'll draw you to Himself, uh, and that you'll leave this place knowing that, that God was here uh, and that you were a part of that. Today I get to continue on in our series, which is titled Loving Your One, Loving Our One. And we have walked through a number of different perspectives on Loving Our One. We've talked about how God loves us, how we love God, how we can love ourselves, how we can love our neighbors. Last week, Pastor Kristen did an incredible job talking about how we can love those in our families. We've looked at love from all different... It's like fitting that February 14th is just right around the corner, right? All this talk about how we can love those in our lives. But we're focusing primarily on loving our one, and we've defined our one as those in our lives who do not yet know Jesus. And we can all think of a few folks who we know that don't yet know Jesus. And so we're coming at it from all these different perspectives with the idea, with the hope, with the goal that we'll walk away with a greater understanding of who those folks are and also how we can engage and interact with them. Because it's our hope and prayer that folks come to know Jesus and grow to be like him. So today I have the honor and privilege of talking about loving our enemies. Oh yeah, I heard some groans. We're going there, friends, so buckle your seatbelts. This, this is challenging. It is a challenging message. I'll be honest with you. There's a weightiness to this. Because when we think about loving our enemies, no one wants to love their enemies. No one. In fact, if we were to take a survey or if we were to look at the teachings of all the major religions, do you know how many talk about loving their neighbor? One, Christianity is the only major religion that talks about loving your enemy. We've talked often throughout this series about how we can only do any of these things as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I think this is the one where we're like, yeah, that's clear because I can't do this on my own, right? The command to love our enemies is unique to the Christian faith, and many contend that it's one of Jesus' highest commands, one of his highest commands, because anyone who reads the words of Jesus, the first time you get to this part of the Bible, you probably go, yeah, right, are you kidding? No, we're not. Those words are there for a reason, and so we get to walk it through today, and I'm excited to do that with each and every one of you. Now, like I said, this is a challenging message. There's a weightiness to this one. In fact, I have a general process whenever I get to preach. I pray, obviously, I ask for God's guidance as I look at the text that we're going to be covering or the topic that we're going to be looking at, and then I read through Scripture related to the topic or related texts relating to the particular Bible passage that we're looking at. We do our homework, right? And then I'll read Bible commentaries. I'll see what scholars have to say. I'll do a little perusal of the internet just to see what's out there, and I did all of that for this message, and I went to sit down and write it, and I went, I'm not ready. And so I prayed some more, and I read some more, and then I 
did what I often do when I have questions that are so hard I don't quite know how to answer them. I turned to C.S. Lewis because I love the way that Lewis writes. And so I went through mere Christianity and I read through C.S. Lewis and I went, I'm still not ready. And then I listened to a message from Pastor Tim Keller, who I highly respect, one of the most educated guys I know. And after all of that, I went, I'm not ready, but I got to get something down on paper because this bad boy's due. And so I had my wife read this message at least a half dozen times. We formatted it and reformatted it, and I'm thankful to the words of C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller. I'm going to be referencing them today because this is a powerful message. It's a challenging message. It's a good message. And it's one that as we walk it through, we'll see how the Holy Spirit empowers us to love our ones, even our enemies. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 36. And uh, the words will also be up here on the screen in a moment. But before that, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, I ask right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in this place. Open our hearts to receive your word for us this day. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 6, 27 through 36 says this, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them as well. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High." Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. I can only imagine the reaction of the people in the crowd the day that Jesus said those words. I mean, their jaws would have been on the floor. They'd have never heard anything like this ever before. Let's be honest, 2,000 years later, it still packs quite a punch, right? Most of us are sitting here going, that is incredible. And let's be honest, guys, it's far beyond any of our capacities. Sure, we can like care about our neighbors and we have to love our families, but this, this one's too far. This is not something that we will stumble into and it's not something that will just happen. It's not something that's just gonna happen in our lives. In fact, the Bible tells us that it was a supernatural act that allows us to even begin to understand where we're coming from today with all of this, right? Could you imagine if you're Jesus followers, you're thinking, where did this come from? How can I do that? How can I even relate, right? And we've said throughout we can relate because of what God's done for us, but we can particularly relate to this passage because of what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 through 11 which says this, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. 
So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. We were God's enemies. That's what the Bible says. And because of the redemptive work of Jesus, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, God actually joined his people back to himself. He called us back to himself. While we were his enemies, God loved us. So we can relate to being loved as an enemy because we were enemies of God and God extended his love to each and every one of us. And he continues to do so each and every day. Day. In fact, that's our take-home point for today. It's the one point that I'm going to seek to make. Frankly, friends, it's the foundation on which the whole rest of this message is built today. And it's this. We were God's enemies and he loved us. You got to hold on to that because we were God's enemies and he loved us first. Now, at the very least, God's love ought to motivate us. But then you're thinking, well, how do I even begin to do that, right? Because let's be honest, enemies come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, right? Maybe it's the coworker who just like undercuts and sabotages all the good things you try to do. Not that any of us can relate to that. Or maybe it's that family member who through their actions or interactions or their words wounded us very deeply. For some of us, maybe our enemies aren't actually people, but it's just this group that does things that we don't like We don't agree with the stances that they take. And let's be honest, friends. If some of us are honest, we have to acknowledge the fact that some folks don't like us because of what we did to them. Oh, right? Because our words, our actions, our inactions, those wound folks as well, don't they? They do. Fights, disagreements, Factions, a thoughtless word, all can crop up very quickly and division happens and enemies sprout. Not only that, as followers of Jesus, we have to acknowledge that he spoke very clearly that as we live out our Christian lives, as we follow what he told us to do, some folks aren't going to like it. They're just not going to like it. In fact, a few verses before the passage we read today, Luke 6, says this, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Here's the deal. Here's what that simply means. When we follow Jesus, we live in a different way. Our lives look different. And some folks aren't going to like those differences. And we're going to have enemies as a result of that. So, It's like there's all these different manners and methods in which an enemy can come about because of what folks have done to us, because of what we perhaps have done to other folks, because of what we get to do for Jesus. It doesn't much matter. But what Jesus promised is that in this life, if we follow him, people will disagree with us. As followers of Jesus, people will hate us and exclude us and reject us. That's a challenge. But if that's going to happen, then we should probably be prepared, right? And we need to respond in the way that Jesus tells us to. So what are we to do? Well, let's revisit the words of Jesus. Luke 6, 27 and 28, which we read, I'm just going to reiterate, says this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now, Friends, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read those words, it brings up all of these emotions. And I'll be honest, the most prominent 
thought or emotion that comes to my mind is, does God just kind of want me to be a giant doormat? Right? Do I, is, am, I, am I like the welcome mat out in front of the house? Is that what God's going for? Are we supposed to let folks do whatever they want, whenever they want, regardless of the consequences? Is that what that means, God? Well, thankfully, we have the Bible to interpret the Bible, right? The Bible can never contradict itself, right? And so in, in the Bible, in Scripture, we have examples of folks who weren't doormats. We can look at the life of the Apostle Paul, who, on a very particular instance and moment, said to folks who were going to whip him, you know I'm a Roman citizen, right? And they went, oh, we didn't know that. We probably shouldn't do that. One time they did whip him, and he said, you know I'm a Roman citizen, right? And he made them escort him out of town. Another time the Jews were going to kill him, and he, as a Roman citizen, appealed to Caesar, which was his right, and he escaped death. Paul played the system. He used the laws of the land to do what? Not be a doormat. Tim Keller said, if we take all of this and we take it to its nth degree, we won't have police. There wouldn't be any police. And like, well, that would be anarchy. That's not a good idea. C.S. Lewis, talking about how we love our enemies as we love our own bodies, said this. Now a step further. Does loving your enemy mean not punishing them? No. For loving myself does not mean that I ought not to subject myself to punishment, even to death. If you had committed a murder, the right Christian thing to do would be to give yourself up to the police and accept the punishment. It is therefore, in my opinion, perfectly right for a Christian judge to sentence a person for their crimes. So, we're not doormats. Thank God for that. But, and, there seems to be this underlying current, though, where we have to extend some sort of supernatural kindness to folks in our lives, especially those as Jesus so adequately put it, who insult us, persecute us, and say all kinds of evil against us. Now, if you think that's a bit too much, just hold on, there's more. Jesus continued, verse 29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Again, I'm like, Jesus, is this doormat language? What's going on here? But let's be honest. We have to look at what Jesus actually said. And in Jesus' day, a slap was an insult. Frankly, a slap is an insult today, right? I've watched a lot of Chuck Norris movies, and he never killed a guy with a slap. Right? It's also not like to mortally wound, to take out of commission. It's a slap. It's an insult. It is what it is. So Jesus says, when you're insulted, turn the other cheek. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean folks get to do whatever they want? No, we've already talked about that. But what it does seem to imply is that when we're insulted, we don't return the slap with a punch, which is the human natural thing to do, right? We escalate the situation. We take the insult and we want to do one more. Friends, as believers and followers of Jesus, as many of us are, do we escalate situations? Do we bring the calm and peace of Jesus in that moment? Do we love as Jesus has instructed? Or do we just allow the insult to pass by as he commanded? These are the questions as we walk this through that ought to be rolling around in our minds. Jesus continued, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So instead of escalating the matter, Jesus says, good news, you get to go the extra mile. Great. Now, 
Here's what he means. In those days, as a person walking around, you would have an outer cloak and an inner cloak. And by law, if you owed someone money, they could demand that you give them your outer cloak so they could sell it. But they could not, by Jewish law, take your inner cloak. Why? Because then you wouldn't have any clothes, right? And it actually says in the Old Testament, they need something to keep warm. And Jesus says, no, 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 give them everything. Now, he's speaking metaphorically because I can guarantee you start handing your enemies underwear, it's not going to go well, okay? What's he pointing to? Jesus here is pointing to the supernatural generosity that marks the lives of his followers, the supernatural generosity that marks the lives of his followers. So when's the last time you or I went the extra mile for an enemy? Let's think about that. When's the last time? Or do we just go the extra mile for people that we like? What's distinctive about that? Doesn't everybody do that? That's what Jesus seems to imply as he says this, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward, then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's us, by the way, just in case we missed that. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, listen, most of us are motivated by what's known as mutual reciprocity. All mutual reciprocity means is I'll gladly do something nice for you if I know I'm going to kind of get repaid. I'll gladly give you something if I know it's coming back to me. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. That's not what my followers are about. What motivates them? Jesus said, your reward will be great, but it's ultimately because of what God did, right? As you reflect the love of my Father. Now, there is a small human fallen part of me that goes, there's a reward. It better be some kind of reward, (laughs) right? Which is what? Mutual reciprocity, which doesn't work here. But instead, we get to reflect the truth and love of Jesus, Because why? Because when we were enemies, God loved us. And we get to do that for others as well. Friends, we are not doormats. But Jesus still demands we extend a supernatural kindness to our enemies, willfully accept curses and insults, extend radical generosity, and not expect anything from our enemies in return. That's it. Simple, right? This one isn't simple or easy. Simple to say, very challenging to do. Why would we do this? Why would we possibly do this? I think it all hinges on this. If you don't take anything else away from this message, take away these two things. We can do this because God loved us first. And this. Why do we do this? Because the goal, friends, isn't to win the battle against our enemies. It's not. Our goal is to reflect Jesus who can win their souls for all of eternity. That's it. That's all that's on the line. That's all that's on the line is the eternal consequence of that guy or woman that you don't like. 
or who may not like you, sometimes for very good reasons. But that's what's before us. Jesus pointed to a radical love that we as his followers get to extend. And when we do that, people ask, why are they living in this crazy way? What's wrong with you? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked why we do this, friend. Tim Keller said this in his message, Jesus' followers aren't concerned with personal image, saving face, or ego. They aren't concerned about how they look or with personal affronts. They are passionate for God's truth and justice, but go about it without vindictiveness, vengefulness, or spite. Listen, truth is important, but we do not go away and do it in a manner that reflects vindictiveness, vengefulness, or spite. Can I get an amen from that? Because in this world, the last thing we need is more vindictiveness, vengefulness, and spite. The truth of God is important, friends, and we stand on that every week here at New Life. But we aren't concerned with personal affronts. We're not concerned with insults. We're passionate for God's truth and justice, and we go about it without vindictiveness, vengefulness, or spite. And what is God's truth and justice? That the world would come to know Him and grow to be like Him. That's the goal. That's the truth and justice of God. That's why Jesus came. The goal is reconciliation, not just for them and us, us and them, our enemies, but for all of humanity and God. Now, listen, I know that's a big picture, right? And I don't say that to take away from the challenges or pain that you may face or that things, that the emotions that come up as a result of an enemy. I'm not trying to diminish that. But we have to be honest with the fact that there is a much bigger goal here than most of us think about most of the time. And that's that the reconciliation of humanity To who? The God who loves them desperately. We get to be about this work as what? God's ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of of God. As Jesus' followers were brand new creations, the old has gone, the new has come. Praise God for that. Why? So we can be really cool? No. So that we can be about God's ministry of reconciliation as what? As his ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? They go in the place of, right? Why do we have ambassadors all over the world? They go in the place of the nation, the country that they represent. We represent the kingdom of God. We represent God himself on this earth. Think of how precious and special that is for each and every one of us who claim Jesus as Savior and Lord. He has anointed us 
to be his ambassadors in this place, in this time, so that those that don't know him can come to know him. We get to spread this ministry of reconciliation to who? Everyone, all of our ones, even our enemies. Jesus actually said, you have a special opportunity to do this with your enemies. Because in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, it reads this. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Full disclosure, a few years ago, morning prayer time, I'm reading through my Bible, I read through Matthew 5. I have read through Matthew 5, I can't even tell you how many times. And so I'm reading through Matthew 5, and I get to these verses, and I read them through, and I go, huh, you know, I always thought that that said if someone had something, or if you had something against someone else. Uh, other passages of Scripture actually say that. If, some, if you have something against someone else, go and be reconciled. But that's not what Matthew says. Matthew says if someone has something against you, I'm like, so that, yeah, like I'm starting to think through this in my morning quiet time. My coffee hasn't fully kicked in yet. And I'm thinking through, well, that's interesting. So you could actually be walking around people with people who are very offended by what you've done, and you wouldn't even know it. And it was in that moment that the Lord went, yeah, like this person. And a name came to mind. And I went, well, I didn't do anything to them. He's like, yeah, but they have something against you. And I went, no, they don't, because I'm awesome. <laughs> what could I have possibly done to have offended someone? It's not even humanly possible. Apparently it is. Now, I would love to tell you in that moment that I just sprung up out of my chair, picked up my phone, and sent off the text message seeking reconciliation, but I didn't. I actually said, I don't want to do that. Why don't I want to do that? That's going to, that's going to be terrible. I don't even know what I did. Like you're starting to question, right? You're running through all the scenarios in your mind. Friends, let me be honest. When it comes to loving our enemies... I don't know any of us that are going to feel like it. We're just not going to feel like it. Naturally, it's just not going to be there. But thankfully, to love our enemies is an act of will, not how we feel. An act of will is simply when we know what we need to do and we go and do it, right? Like, I don't feel like going for a jog or going for a walk. I don't feel like eating green beans. I don't feel like extending love to my children all the time. I don't, but why do we do it? Because it's an act of will. And when it comes to loving our enemies, we get to extend this act of will. We get to apply what we know to be true, regardless of how we feel. And so I called and I set a meeting. And when we met, it was great. It was hard. It was not fun. It's not fun when you're talking through something with someone whom you've offended. Now, was it 100% my fault? Probably, most of it, yeah. Was there just a lot of miscommunication? Yeah, that's typically how it goes. So what did we do? We sat down. Thankfully, this person was a believer. We talked about how we got here, how we can move forward. We set expectations. We talked about boundaries, which are very important. 
and we began to walk it out, and we are in the process of being reconciled. Notice I said in the process of, right? I don't know if that relationship will ever look like it once did. I don't know that for sure. But I am very thankful for this, that instead of an enemy, I have someone with whom I'm being reconciled. And we're not in division, we're in community, living and walking that out together as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I wish I could tell you that's always how it goes, but it won't. Some folks will rebuff our kindness, and plus, for some of us in certain extreme situations, uh, reaching out to an enemy actually puts us in danger. And if that's your situation here today, you need some counsel on that, so please seek that out and walk that out. But for most of us, for most of us, loving our enemy is knowing what we ought to do and simply doing it, putting into practice and into action what we've talked about today. So, friends, who is that coworker that sabotages all the good things that we try to do? Who is that family member who, through their actions or inactions or thoughtless words, wounded us deeply? What's that group of folks with whom we just can't possibly agree? The questions become, how can we bless them? Are we praying for them? Are we living out the biblical command that Jesus put before us? If we've wounded others, if we've made enemies, are we going to seek reconciliation? Remember, God loved us while we were his enemies. God loved us while we were his enemies enemies. Jesus extended a supernatural kindness to us that reconciled us to God himself. Think of it this way, friends, and I actually want to read this. Jesus extended his supernatural kindness, willfully accepted our curses and insults, extended radical generosity, and he didn't expect anything in return. He gave himself up freely for us, And empowered by the Holy Spirit, we get to do the same. We get to be God's ambassadors in his reconciliation to our ones, even to our enemies. And as we live that out, we'll be living out what is our next step for today, which is I will extend God's kindness and reconciliation to all I encounter this week. Now, I said all, because if we extend God's kindness and reconciliation to everyone, that's the best way to live. It really is. But for some of us, for many of us, all means a very few specific people. They're already kicking around in your head. And so the question becomes this week, what do we do? Is extending kindness, does that mean a phone call? Does that mean lifting it up before the Lord in prayer? Might be a challenging time as you pour it out before the Lord, but friends, that's where these things start. Asking God for strength and guidance to know your next step. Again, I don't know your situations, friends. These things should be navigated well with wisdom and boundaries. But they do need to be navigated. Regardless of how we extend God's love, just know that as we are reconciled, our ultimate hope and goal is what? That we who were enemies, who have been made right, would extend the reconciliation that we have received to all of our friends, family, and enemies 
so that they too may know the truth, the love, the joy, and the peace that we get to experience as children of God. Amen? Amen. We talked a lot about reconciliation today. Reconciliation simply means that God made things right. To be reconciled means that the things that were wrong were put back to the way that they should be. And that's what Jesus did when he came. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. He rose again to do what? To make things right between man and God. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, that's okay. That's okay. But just know that you're living as an enemy of God. And he's done everything that he can to rectify that situation. He wants to reconcile. And all we do in response to that is we simply accept the reconciliation that he's already done for us. We accept his rule and reign in our lives. We say here in New Life that he gets to be our Savior and Lord. And it's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. We admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and as a result, he has the right to be the Savior and Lord of our lives. He saved us from sin and death, and he's our Lord. He gets to tell us what to do. And then we confess. We confess our need for Jesus. We confess our sins to him. And then we commit to living it out every day in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not perfectly, but each and every day, we look a little bit more like him who redeemed us. If that's you here today, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'd invite you to join with me to take what is perhaps the most important next step of your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We ask and pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would rule and reign in this place. Lord, I pray for any here today who do not yet know you. I pray that right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to their hearts, that you would minister to their spirits as only you can. And Lord, that they would respond to the reconciliation that you have freely given by admitting the need for you. By offering words something like, Lord, I need you in my life. I admit that I can't do this all on my own. I believe that you are the Son of God, Lord Jesus, and as right, and as such, you have the right to be the Savior and Lord of my life. I confess my need for you. I confess all I have done. I place it before you, and I commit to living it out in and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, for all of us here today, I pray that your Spirit would rule and reign in our lives for those of us who claim you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, that we would extend that love, kindness, truth to all with whom we come into contact. Lord, we pray for our ones, those who don't yet know you, whether they be friend or foe. And Lord, we ask as we bring light, Lord, that the darkness would be beat back. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.